Hey, Real Talkers, do parents deserve to know if their child changes their pronouns at school? Should politicians be involved in trans people's personal health care decisions? Does the general public deserve a say in any of this? We had a ton of feedback after our January 29th episode with Charles Adler talking about that parental rights legislation soon to be unveiled by Danielle Smith's government. We opened the show with some of the best emails from you. And then a complete change of pace. A Saskatchewan family discovers a hidden treasure in their home that could be worth millions. We talked to Wayne Wagner about why the 1979 Opeachy Hockey card case is worth oh so much. This is a relay project. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The greatest discovery you've ever made is what? Like down in the basement. In that box you hadn't checked for years or in the pocket of the coat that you didn't put on for for half a decade or more or something that was rattling around in the trunk of your car that you had completely forgotten about. Maybe it was uh, clearing out the uh, home in an estate sale type circumstance of a loved one or, or maybe something you discovered in a wall of a house that you bought to tear down and rebuild. Well, there's the story of a Saskatchewan family that is captivating the nation, and we will get to that today. A family that discovered a pure treasure, John, a treasure uh, in a Canadian context that may exceed the sentimental and actual real value of any treasure anyone else would be likely to find. Oh, I'm intrigued. An unopened case. An unopened case. Of 1979 Opeachy hockey cards wow. that could contain, so say the experts, up to 25 or even more Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. Ooh. Now, you may remember about a year ago-ish, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking to an expert on today's show, and we're also going to get to some more serious stuff in politics and all that. Don't worry, everybody. We will <laughs> we will feed you today what you need to be fed, what you're looking to chew on. We will bring that to you. But but a Wayne Gretzky, like a mint condition, like a graded 10, basically, yeah. rookie card a short time ago sold for well over a million dollars. Can you imagine if you were to find 25 of those in an unopened case of 1979 80 Opeachy hockey cards? So Wayne Wagner is going to join us in about 25 minutes time nice. from Wayne Sports Cards and Collectibles. This guy knows what's up. He's this is his career. 25. He's made his career on this. I mean, I mean and, and there also could be zero. No, I don't think there could be zero. <laughs> no, there couldn't be. Zero. Wayne will tell us there's probably some sort of a guarantee that you're going to get at least one or two or five with in that a many case boxes or, for sure. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine? So the Saskatchewan family finds this mm-hmm. and all I mean, I think very quickly realize what they've got. And yeah. so they literally had it like transported by guard uh, <laughs> and then flown with escort. Yeah. To the Toronto airport where they had it, uh, you know, examined and checked, and now it's up for auction at Heritage Auctions. What is and, this uh, rookie card worth? 
Well, it depends. Like if it's all banged up, you remember back in the day, like, yeah. you know, kids, maybe they still do it. But it, for sure, back in the day, we'd, you know, rip them lodge open cards and, yeah. into the spokes of our bicycles because it, it would sound like yeah. a scooter. But like, mint, mint condition, you, you know, but like mint condition, if it's a graded 10 or like, yeah. you know, 9.5, we'll get into it with Wayne. Um, I mean, those things are pushing. They're in the hundreds of thousands. Oh, my gosh. 25 of them. I'd could say, be, I'd could say be. Ryan, here's five. See you later. <laughs> See you later. I'm out of here. And I would say no hard feelings. Yeah. Thanks for the five of them. And so, so you know, you you kind of. Uh, I mean, this is this is one of those stories that everybody kind of like dreams about. Like, what would we do if we? Of course. And and what's the backstory? Mm-hmm. Like, who was it that had that bought that case and squirreled it away? I want to know where it was. Was it in like a storage wars kind of bought unit? Was it in a closet? Was it in a basement? I mean, how I need cool. to know how yeah. cool, right? So th- these are yeah, and, and I don't know like all of the details. But basically, they're just saying that this is obviously going to be a life changing, uh, you know, boon for this family. The yeah. bidding's already well over a million dollars. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the winning. So bidder, they're not going to open it. They're just going to sell the box. Well, they're, they're going to sell. So there's like a big case, as I understand it, is a big case with like 12 boxes. Okay. And then the 12 boxes will have however many packs in them. Um, we, I want to go straight to the source on this. Like Wayne understands this. I mean, hey, what happens, though, even if. What if they open it up and what if there are 25 Gretzky rookie cards and what if they're all in, you know, essentially like, you know, nine out of 10 plus condition, these get graded, right? Like they send them away to experts, the experts grade the cards. And if you get like a graded 10, Mm -hmm. uh, that's just a diamond, you know, that that you would have, uh, you know, I mean, you're easily probably looking at a million dollars, but but if there's 20 of them, does that flood the market? And if that floods the market, does it actually drop the price? Yeah. I don't know. I have so many questions. I, for I, Wayne. I don't know what I do. Would I would I sell a bunch of boxes? Maybe open two and sell the rest. How I could you not know. open at, at least, least one, one box, or right? at least open a box and open because inside the box is how many packs? You got to open a few packs at least. Imagine you open the first pack. Boom. There it is. It's such nostalgia opening that. Do they got the gum inside them, these ones still? Or oh, is we that got to ask him that as well. I don't know if Opeachy <laughs> did the gum. This so, is going back. I would have been two years old at the time. Yeah. It was like just a, a, a tiny little bit before I started collecting. I, yeah. I, later in the show, I want to ask you about like your collecting story. I have uh, one, yeah. You were. You do have a collecting but story. But I also was watching a podcast this week, uh, Dudesy. We, we talk yeah. about this, the, the AI podcast run by AI. And they found some old wrestling cards and they were wrestling cards along with some baseball cards and they were opening them. And uh, Will Sasso, he actually found gum in one of them and the gum had like black mold on it and he ate it live on the air. (laughs) He took a bite of it and chewed it. It sounded like he was eating glass. I can think of smarter (laughs) things to do. You know, I can think of smarter things to do. So this is coming up. Wayne Wagner uh, is going to talk about this amazing story out of Saskatchewan. Uh, How many Wayne Gretzky rookie cards? And let's let's talk bigger picture. Like, are cards back? I think the answer is yes. It seemed like for a while people weren't really like obsessed with collecting cards. They went away for a while, yeah. Like, there used to be stores everywhere when i was like 14 15 yeah. years old you go in you'd buy packs they'd have all the good ones in the cases you could you could exchange you could it was even like a pawn shop if you had a good card in a case you could totally. get, give it in for money and then if you want it back in a week come back and then it kind of went away and what a fascinating business for wayne to be in we'll pick his brain mm-hmm. about his business too because if you go in with your gretzky rookie card 
Like I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm assuming he's not gonna have a million dollars in the cash register no. to and pay he's you gonna lowball you, and he's gonna need because he's got to make his profit, right? It's worth so, about fifty bucks. Yeah, I'd say yeah, forty to sixty. Forty to sixty. No, I know him personally. I don't. That's okay. not his style. But that's coming up in about twenty minutes. Plus, you know, on the political side of things, and welcome to those of you that are discovering this show for the very first time because YouTube put it in front of you because you love Wayne Gretzky or you love hockey cards. We also talk news, politics, and pop culture here on Real Talk. We're going to get into the Alberta government's plan uh, to roll out parental rights legislation. Uh, it's coming up when we're recording this at the end of January. It's it's coming up this week. It's expected out February 1st. We touched on it yesterday with, with some of the rumors, some of the scuttlebutt about what it could contain, what it likely will contain. And well, a lot of you had a lot to say. So we picked out like eight or 10 of the strongest emails. I asked on their show with Charles Adler, on our episode, uh, of course, we're talking to you here uh, at the end of January. Uh, Charles Adler joining us the first Monday of every week. So it's January 29th, the episode you're looking for if you want to hear Adler and I get into it. But we asked those of you with lived experience, those of you, you could be parents, uh, you know, some of our, our young adult members of this listening audience, uh, some of you that have walked miles in the shoes of the families that are reflected i mean the families that are referenced in legislation like this families with non-binary kids families with lgbtq2s plus students right teachers in these classrooms and boy did you ever respond when we have a show like that and then when we have an audience response like we did on january 29th we shuffle up the next day's show because we understand that this is something that's resonated with you. So we're going to open with you, Blaine. Uh, we're going to go to Carolyn. We're going to go to Sarah. And then we're going to go from there. We've got a ton of emails. That's coming up in just a quick second. Before we get into it, I want to let you know that this episode is presented by the team at Danatech. And if your day job puts you in charge of getting your team the industry's absolute best safety training. Danatech, you need to know, has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades. Their courses are designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so the courses are actually going to make a difference. They're going to resonate on your job site. You're going to save lost time injuries. You're going to stay compliant with changing regulations. Plus, you'll save money on training with Danatech. Obviously, that's appealing. Big companies across Canada are using Danatech's Wimis, TDG, electrical lifting device courses for good reason. Plus, they've got a catalog of more than 150 of them. Imagine that, more than 150 courses across all industries. If you want to find out about bulk discounts as well, make sure you check out danatech.com. Take a spin through their courses today. Premier Daniel Smith says that uh, her government will be rolling out parental rights legislation uh, going beyond uh, most people are expecting what New Brunswick did under Premier Blaine Higgs, what Saskatchewan did under Premier Scott Moe, invoking the notwithstanding clause. Uh, we don't know what exactly Alberta's legislation will look like, but what we do know, uh, if you're able to observe the obvious, uh, is that this is a nod from the United Conservative government to its right-wing base. There's a lot of talk about parental rights coming from the far right, right? coming from the folks like Take Back Alberta. And a lot of you, after we talked about this yesterday with Charles Adler, where my take was basically this probably isn't going to be as controversial as everybody thinks with the people that Daniel Smith is concerned about, right? The right to moderate conservatives, 
right? There's going to be major pushback from progressive. There's going to be major pushback probably from teachers, from the LGBTQ community. I think that's probably safe to say. But among Premier Smith's space, this is far from controversial. It's either going to get the eh or it's going to get the yeah. But what we can probably speculate around successfully is that if she weren't to do something like this, there would continue to be questions. It's kind of along the same lines as the Tucker Carlson appearance, isn't it? For the Premier to go up on stage, those that would most heavily criticize her for it are not those that she's trying to find favor with. The majority of the conservative support base, the majority of those that would have voted for the United Conservatives last election and may, may some of them have wrinkled or turned up their noses at the idea of her appearing with the far right commentator, the man who was too crazy for Fox News. But ultimately, why do you think she did it? She probably did it to appease those that most vociferously support and follow Tucker Carlson, even those that brought him to Alberta, those responsible for putting on the spectacle. And on the flip side, what have been the political consequence? What would it have been had Danielle Smith said no? There's a history when it comes to Alberta premiers of those finding the end of their career when they lost the right wing, when they lost the most ardent conservatives in the party. And it's a long history. Just ask Jason Kenney. So it's probably safe to speculate or safe to suggest that while Danielle Smith did the Tucker Carlson appearance in large part, probably to keep those folks happy, this parental rights legislation may be the same thing. But when we talked about it yesterday and and Charles Adler issued his warning to the progressives in the province. And if you're wondering, well, hang on a second. Why is Adler dragging the progressives into this? Check out the episode. Check out the episode from January 29th or you can find the highlight on any of our social media platforms. Real talkers had a lot to say about it. And we want to give you the floor. These are all real emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. All of them received within about a 12-hour span. Starting with Blaine, who says, Jespo, I appreciate what you do and how you do it. Respect to you and the team. I'm a regular listener. Says, I want to give you some context. I'm the proud father of two wonderful humans, Harrison and Wyatt. Harrison is a transgender man and Wyatt is a gay man. They're thriving in their adult life journeys and are both of exemplary character, and they possess a level of integrity that would make any parent proud. While they were both attending public school, I was a school board trustee, and I was involved politically in the gay-straight alliance debate, the GSA debate. Note of extreme caution, I did not want to make them subject to scrutiny as a result of my position, and so I did what I could with my colleagues to convince them we needed to develop policies for safe and caring well-being to ensure that for all students in our division. The work that did get done for the most part, you know, said, uh, and I'm pretty proud of that. He said, the safety and well-being, says Blaine, of my kids is of utmost importance. So I got to say, I'm extremely nervous, uh, says Blaine, and saddened by the debate we're about to have as a province and the platforms that will be provided for people to make young folks in this province feel unsafe. I travel quite a bit, and I've endured many hours of talk radio in Saskatchewan, endured many hours of talk radio in Saskatchewan while their government went down this path. says, please be cautious in your deliberations with the public, as I truly believe lives are in danger. 
The proudest moment I had as a father, says Blaine, is when a student my son went to school with came up to me after graduating and told me that if it hadn't been for the empathy and compassion shown to him by my son, he would not be alive today. I expect many tears to be rolling down my face as I listen to the so-called debate that is about to be unleashed on this province. For me, this is about parental responsibility, not parental rights. From one father to another, says Blaine, hold your kids close, but keep those young people that are not as fortunate as mine and yours in your thoughts too, and take care. That from Blaine. I sure appreciate that. Now, we don't know exactly what the legislation will contain, but we expect that there will be uh, an age limit uh, under which parents must be notified if a student changes their pronouns in school. We expect that age to be 16. We expect there to be some age limits set for things like uh, pre-surgical preparations, things like hormone therapy, puberty blockers. We don't know for sure. There's some talk about top surgeries. Many of you wrote into the show quite rightfully uh, to talk about uh, you know uh, some of the surgical options that are available to Canadians living in Alberta and the fact that most of them are limited to those aged 18 and older. And you're right. There are some so-called top surgeries that can happen in the province for uh, young people under the age of 18 with parental consent. We don't know. It's been suggested, but we don't know if that may be touched upon as well in this legislation that this government is expected to release. We're talking to experts, and I'll let you know that if this comes out on Thursday, as is to be expected, we do have our Friday roundtable. That's February 2nd planned to address this and our lineups i think one that's going to impress you carolyn wrote in and said ryan this is going to be short and sweet one does not need parental rights legislation if one creates an environment at home where their children feel safe telling them everything Uh, carolyn uh, right out of the gates i agree she says you only need to force people to give you information about your child if deep down you know your child knows that you aren't a safe place she says when my son was Oh, she, you know what she writes? I'm making a judgment call on the fly here, Johnny. She says privately, and then she tells us a story here where I don't think I should tell it if she says privately. She talks to us about a story, about a way that her son was manipulated online, let me say. And she says, unfortunately, he fell for it. And, of course, they tried to gouge him for money. I won't share the details, but she says within two hours, he came and told me and asked for help. And she says, I'm proud that his dad and I have created a home where he could come to us and tell us that very embarrassing situation. We were able to tell him that he was actually the victim of a crime and that he wasn't the only one to fall for it. Carolyn says kids kill themselves over stuff like this. And any moral or ethic that I have does not supersede my child's life. Be a safe space for your kid. And it won't even occur to you that they're telling their teachers things that they wouldn't tell you. If a parent passionately fights for this legislation, it only proves that they are an unsafe, judgmental shit. That from Carolyn, who signs off and says, I guess that wasn't short and sweet, but oh well. Well, it was sweet. Sarah says, you know, I only listened to half of the episode on January 29th, and I had to turn it off. Says, your conversation with Adler completely misses the mark. The question you ought to be asking yourselves is, why is my opinion relevant? Why should this even be a discussion that is leading to policy and legislative action? I mean, let me just clarify. It's a discussion based on policy and legislative action that is happening. And we're a talk show. And those are the things that we chew on. So that's why we're talking about it. But I digress, Sarah. She says the number of families that are directly affected by the restrictions being proposed on gender-related health care are not directly affecting the vast majority of Albertans. So why do the majority of Albertans have the right to sound off about others' personal health care-related decisions? 
You know, the same could be said about reproductive health care decisions. There's adequate policy already that is meant to guide healthcare professionals in providing ethical sex and gender related medical care. She says, you're validating Danielle Smith's soapbox politicking to appease a few conservative campaign donor groups who ironically want less government interference or legislation in literally every other aspect of life. Why should a handful of people who aren't going to be directly affected by this type of legislation be allowed to shape the narrative and policy, making it more difficult for individuals and families facing these complex healthcare decisions? And she says, and more importantly, why are you promoting, uh, why are you promoting yet another red herring that takes away from holding this government accountable in ways that profoundly impact every single Albertan? And then she says the one thing that just drives me absolutely fucking crazy, which is please do better. When people say that, they always look down their nose and say, please do better. Here's the deal, friends. Danielle Smith is not introducing so-called parental rights legislation because Real Talk heard a rumor and decided to talk about it with Charles Adler. This government, which it has been alleged, suggested, implied, pointed out, announced, and otherwise, is greatly influenced by a far-right-wing special interest group called Take Back Alberta, is introducing this legislation this week. And if you're going to suggest that we shouldn't talk about it, You're nuts. You're coming at it from a point of sincerity. I understand and empathy. And a lot of you were fucking pissed about it. But to suggest that we are promoting it, that we're giving it credence. I mean, come on. Do you honestly think that without the attention of talk shows like this, we're going to be better off by ignoring what's happening at the Alberta legislature, by not having it on your radar, by forcing you into the uncomfortable position that I also find myself in where I don't want to talk about this. I saw what it was like in New Brunswick where it's far from supercharged. And then I saw what it was like in Saskatchewan, which is a little bit closer to the political climate and geography of Alberta. And I already know how it's going to go here. And it sucks. I'd rather talk about million-dollar 1979 Opeachy Wayne Gretzky hockey cards as well. I'd way rather talk about the Oilers on a 16-game heater. I would way rather talk about and focus on the NDP leadership race because that's going to be kind of interesting, and it's a whole new dynamic, and there's never a dull moment in Alberta politics, and who's going to win, and what are they going to bring to the table, and can the NDP form government again, and what? But this is what's happening this week. And we're not part of the problem. I understand that some of the opinions that you may hear on the show, you're not going to love, but to suggest that we're promoting the legislation. I mean, come on. Gerald says, I personally agree with you on some members of the public. I referenced an Angus Reid poll yesterday. An Angus Reid poll, a recent one, uh, conducted in November of 2023. So like a couple of months ago from when I'm talking to you now. An Angus Reid poll showed that 85% of Canadians polled, more than 1,500 of them, 85% of them have hesitance around what is, you know, generously 
and properly described as gender-affirming healthcare, but Canadians have hesitation around things like hormone therapy beginning at ages under 18. Now, the, the poll asks if individuals wanted to begin hormone therapy at age 8, 12, or 16, would you support or oppose this? And the total responses, pardon me, the sample size on this is more than 3,000, is 85% hesitant or opposed. 85%. So I referenced that statistic yesterday because it is relevant. Now, you could quite rightfully say it's none of that 85% fucking business. And you would be correct. But that's also kind of not how politics works. And it's also not how life works. Like a lot of people oftentimes get a say or at least get to voice their opinions on things that have no direct impact on them. Like, I'm trying to think of an example that's not tacky or crass. But like as a bunch of white politicians litigate what reconciliation should be look like, should look like, why do they have a say in that? Now, someone will point out that it's a clumsy example, but this is how politics works. It's politicians pandering to and appealing to and maintaining their base, right? That doesn't mean it's the right move. It doesn't mean that it's going to be healthy for a, a, a transgender, uh, you know, an 11 year old that already knows the journey that they're on, or for that matter, a five year old that feels they don't quite, are, they don't have the ability to articulate it, but they understand a little bit. They understand that they feel a little bit different than everybody describes how they feel. That's who this is all about, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day. So who cares what the 85% say? Well, politicians do typically. Right? So Gerald says, of all of this, the whole discussion about parental rights and the rights of a parent to decide what's best for their child, how do we then say that procedures, surgical interventions, he means, that could never be done without parents consenting? And by the way, don't believe, this is Ryan talking now, don't believe all the stuff and the fear-mongering about all these people that are talking about I mean, they're using, you know, obviously, I'm, if, if your kids are listening to this point in the episode, I don't know what to tell you, but still, you know, they're talking about like kids being castrated and, and they're talking about genital mutilation and stuff like this. That's not, that's not the case. That's not happening. There's a lot of fear mongering going on around this, but there are cases in Canada where minors are receiving some surgical options with parental consent. So Gerald says, at the end of the day, if it could never be done without a parent's consent in the first place, what on earth are we talking about restricting that anyway? He says, I think at the end, we got to pick a lane and realize that most parents and their kids are going to be making informed decisions on this, right? He says, so personally, while I don't know how I would deal with my kid wanting puberty blockers at 13, I'm not sure that my lack of ease or my hesitation here should be applied to other families. He says, and I appreciate that we can have tough conversations, by the way. These really aren't things that we're allowed to talk about. You're right, Gerald. I feel the same way. It is uncomfortable, right? On a personal level, this makes me sound like a teenager, but I noticed yesterday somebody that I respect very deeply. This is just on a personal tiny little thing. You're going to go, who fucking cares? Why would you even bring this up? But it just reiterates to you. Somebody, a professional that's appeared on this show that I really respect yesterday sort of called me out on Twitter and unfollowed me. You know, Johnny, you're going to go like, what are you, like a teenager? What are you, like a little teenager? You're sweating over who's unfollowing you on Twitter. But it kind of felt like a little slap in the face. And I was like, I know exactly why she did. I know exactly why. It's because of the conversation we had yesterday, and it sucks. Mm -hmm. But if we don't talk about this stuff, if we don't have these conversations, what kind of a bullshit talk show are we even running? You know what I mean? Cheryl writes in and says, Jespo, there was something you said last week, which you followed up with your fanboy synopsis of your evening with Tucker Carlson. Jeez. 
She says, I wasn't going to write in. Then today's show, Charles said something that resonated with me. He talked about character. And Cheryl says, in my mind, you tarnished yours greatly by stating you would gladly interview Tucker Carlson and then following it up with a glowing rendition of his presentation. Okay. Says he openly supports someone who's been charged and found guilty in a civil case of raping a person. He calls women derogatory names. He trashes my friend who is trans and spreads lies about this country and many other things. And I'm curious, wonder Cheryl, where your line is. Would you interview Adolf Hitler, who is also extremely intelligent and a great public speaker? I'm sure you would have challenging questions prepared. So what's your answer? Obviously, I would interview Adolf Hitler. Is that a serious question? Do, pe- do, people, do people think that, interv- like, do people think I would interview Chairman Mao? I would, like, for real? Obviously. I don't, maybe we have different understandings of the purpose of a talk show or what seek to understand means. But, like, bringing somebody on the show is not an endorsement of their behavior, their beliefs, their character, or otherwise, right? Now, there are certain areas where a talk show doesn't go, right? When people talk about platforming, you know, we don't bring on the, a grand wizard from the Ku Klux Klan and, 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 and ask the questions about equality, right? That's not how a talk show operates. But you're telling me that if you think like Peter Jennings back in the day or Barbara Walters or Oprah Winfrey had a chance to interview arguably the most evil person to ever walk the face of planet Earth that they wouldn't do that interview? She says, why would you want to share air with that person? These aren't walks in the park. We're not holding hands while we talk. She says, I didn't realize that your and Daniel Smith's bar is lower than Fox News, and it's saddening and disappointing. Cheryl, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This from Travis, who says, I'm a big fan of the show, and listening to your conversation with Adler on July 29th about this potential upcoming parental rights legislation, I mean, it is coming, says in the broader conversation around trans Albertans, I must hard disagree with both of you, says Travis. He says, let me preface it by saying I'm a straight male married with a toddler. I have a nephew who's trans and a friend with a trans daughter. Both of them came to that realization in their teens. Travis says, I don't understand what it's like to be trans and the idea of feeling like you're in the wrong body, but I don't have to. All I have to do is continue to love and respect the people in my life that do identify that way. And as for the idea of those under 18 getting access to things like hormone therapies or even surgery or you know, discussion with kids that gay people actually exist, all these issues with this so-called parental rights group, Says, I want to ask everybody, says Travis, to take a minute and think back to your teens. Like, if, if, you're, if you're a male, what age did most of you take an interest in girls? What age did you start noticing your own body? At what age did you first kiss somebody or have a significant other? Was it like 11, 12, 13, another age? My guess is, says Travis, it was probably pretty young. He says, it's okay. And this is the type of thing that's shown in movies throughout history, right? A young person falling for another. But a boy or a girl realizing that they're gay at 13, oh, no, we tell them that they may be confused. The same, realizing that they're trans, we tell them that they may regret their choice. These decisions are not for politicians. They're for the child and the doctor to decide on the right path. And it's also not even the decision of the parent, says Travis. Parents don't have parental rights, We have responsibilities. And if my kid is trans and doesn't tell me, like Carolyn said in that earlier email, Travis says, that's my failing. They were not comfortable in sharing with me their true self. 
No, there's no hard to find age that you come to these realizations. And it's not for politicians to decide. Parents don't have a right to know because some parents are bigoted pieces of shit. This is a private decision of the child and their physician. And he says, thank you, as always, for the great topics and interviews. And we're going to wrap with this one from Wendy. And hey, by the way, I appreciate a lot of you when, when, when you, you bring this criticism, which is great, and we welcome it. This makes us stronger as a show, as an audience, as a community. But also when you let us know that you're regular listeners, it means a lot to us. And that's what Wendy does as well. She says, uh, January 29th, I was interested in your discussion with Adler regarding gender-affirming surgery. She says, many Albertans, and I want to clarify, may not be aware that in Canada, uh, gender-affirming surgery like top or bottom is not performed on, on people before the age of 18. Says hormone treatment, of course, is offered prior to the onset of puberty. Hormone treatment is not new, and it's been available to treat many conditions and symptoms for many years. Uh, it's reversible, and children can resume normal stages of puberty if treatment is terminated. Like all treatments or procedures, there are risks and side effects, and parents and children, of course, are advised regarding those risks in order that they can decide what's best for their child. She says, as it sounds like you know, the gender-affirming journey is long and sometimes an agonizing process and is obviously not taken lightly by young people nor their families. Uh, Gender-affirming surgery or hormone treatment is a private matter and should be treated like any other medical procedure. It's a process that's already well-regulated and managed by professional medical organizations and associations in Canada, and it does not require government intervention. Wendy goes on to say, Many Albertans raise the flag of parental rights, but ignore or simply disregard the rights of parents of trans kids and, most importantly, the fundamental rights of those trans kids. They like all parents, have a right to decide what's best for their children and have access to the best medical care possible. Wendy says, if Albertans truly cared about parental rights and the well-being of kids, they would educate themselves about the facts regarding gender-affirming treatments and surgery, and they would support the parental rights of all parents and families to decide what's best for their kids. She says, thanks for taking the time to read this email. We can only move forward if we learn to address difficult and contentious issues with understanding, knowledge, and compassion for the most vulnerable members of our community. That from Wendy. I sure appreciate that email. You can send us a note anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If you want to learn more about gender-affirming care, I want to direct you to our September 13th episode of Real Talk. This is when we talk to Dr. Kate Greenaway. And Dr. Kate Greenaway uh, has been practicing gender-affirming healthcare for many, many years, uh, initially in Ontario. And the, the context of our conversation with her uh, back in the fall on September 13th uh, was her plan, which is now in action, uh, to move that clinic, to bring that clinic to Alberta. There are, there are uh, a precious few uh, number of physicians. Uh, Dr. James McCocus is another one that comes to mind, and you've heard him on this show before as well, that are practicing specifically and specializing in the field of gender-affirming healthcare. Uh, and again, that's the September 13 episode of Real Talk, What is Gender-Affirming Care? If you're looking for that in our YouTube archive or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to change gears in a second, uh, check in with Wayne Wagner, completely different subject a what could be multi-million dollar find by a saskatchewan family could they have discovered up to 25 or even more wayne gretzky 
rookie cards worth millions of dollars. That's coming up in less than two minutes. But I want to remind you that these conversations are presented by Real Talk sponsors like our friends at California Closets. For years, they've been the best in the business of custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. If you want to make the most of your space with custom organizational systems, if you want to transform your living space, increase the value of your home and invest in peace of mind, trust the talented design team. Their installers are incredible as well. It all starts with a conversation, a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials uh, want to, hey, and I want we got our Grand Dog Essentials calendar here, and we're getting set to, to go to the month of February. You can order these Grand Dog Essentials calendars on their website, granddog.ca. Every month you're getting one of their 12 winners of the Grand Dog Photo Contest. These are all customers of theirs. I love it. And there's a Grand Dog tip, a nutritional tip for every month as well. And when you go online and you hit the Shop Now link, you'll find all of their products, including some of the products that are on special this month. That includes their January sale. you got a couple of days left. Probiotics. Don't forget, for dogs and cats, they've got all kinds of reasons that you should look into those supplements. Gut health, joint support, old age support. Grand Dog's got you covered. And of course, if you live in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta, they're delivering right to your door. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time order at granddog.ca. If you're navigating a bit of a mess, if that cold snap a couple of weeks ago meant burst pipes for you and you're in a long line trying to get repair services there, you want to avoid black mold, you're trying to get it cleaned up and you need a company you can trust, we recommend, without hesitation, Complete Care Restoration. This is the team that built our studio. We have seen them in action and I can tell you their professionalism is next to none. They got started back in a garage way back in the day. Just a team with a truck doing great work. And since then, they have grown their business to be Alberta's best rapid response mitigation, restoration, and reconstruction service. You can learn more about Complete Care Restoration by finding them online at completecarerestoration.com. CA. And a real quick heads up coming up. Of course, you know it's the first of the month in just a couple of days. If you're listening to this on the day that we're recording this, you're not going to want to miss Friesen Brothers. The first of every single month, Friesen Brothers knocks 15% off every order of $75 or more. A quick heads up while you're there, check out the sourdough cinnamon buns and tell them Jespo sent you. That's our favorite item as a family at Friesen Brothers. You can't find a better cinnamon bun at at any Alberta grocery store. And it's no wonder this one's their 75th anniversary, just a couple of years away. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. All right, we love this story. Out of Saskatchewan, a family makes a discovery that is going to undoubtedly transform their lives. A case of unopened boxes of 1979-80 Opeechee hockey cards. Of course, it is safe to assume that in this case, there could be, probably will be, multiple rookie cards of the greatest player to ever play the game. The great one, four-time Stanley Cup champion, all-time NHL points leader, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Wagner is the owner and operator of Wayne's Sports Cards and Collectibles and a great friend to this show. It's nice to see your face again, man. Where, for those, the benefit of those on the podcast, describe to us uh, where you're coming to us from. It looks to me like you're smack dab right in the Oilers' dressing room. Is is this your house? 
this is this is my man cave. Unbelievable. And this is the man cave. This is what we uh, we nerdy collectors uh, like to build up and uh, and transform our basements into. Yeah, amazing. Well, what is the uh, most? And we're not going to put your address on the show notes, so you're not, you're not going to have to beef up your home security. But what is the most special or valuable investment that you have in your own cave? Well, you know what? There's really nothing. And I say this all the time. There's really never any one item, anything you kind of put into a man cave or put into your collection, whether it's cards, comics, whatever it is. Every piece that you own is something that you obviously went out and got for a certain reason. Okay, so talk to us about this story out of Saskatchewan. This this family finds is like this case, an unopened case of 1979 Opeachy hockey cards. Uh, so, So how many cards are we talking? About? How many packs of cards are we talking about? Set the stage for us, if you would. Yeah, I mean, this this is a, a find of a lifetime. Uh, you know, congratulations on the family for having set this aside. It's very difficult as any person who knows who collects hockey cards. When you get these boxes of cards, the idea is to open them up and enjoy opening and find out what's inside the pack. So to leave this stuff sealed and have it for that long is absolutely amazing. But what this family has found is 16 boxes, 48 packs per box of Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Now, to put that in terms of how many cards you're going to get of each player, there's 14 cards per pack. The math works out in that case. There should be mathematically about 25, 20, you know, arguably 25 Wayne Gretzky cards. Okay. And, and, and a, basically a mint. And I'm going to use all the wrong terminology. So you got to correct me and, and, and please get as nerdy as you possibly can, because we know some people that listen to this interview are going to be hardcore collectors. So when we say mint condition, we're talking like you say a graded 10, right? Didn't like, didn't like a, a close to graded 10 Gretzky rookie card sell for way over a million bucks a short time ago. That's correct. Now, opening these packs doesn't guarantee and that's always a misconception people assume that when you open a pack for the first time and you pull out these cards that they are in perfect shape and that is not true there's miscut cards there's damage going into the packs uh so there's all kind of factors that can play into this um for argument's sake we can say that if somebody was to open this and i'm going to get into that because nobody should open this case whoever buys it okay but if somebody was, was to open it they would get 25 Gretzky rookie cards. At an average, I'd say you could safely say at eight, at PSA eights or a graded eight, which would net them about $500,000. Okay. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. This find is very unique. This is arguably one of a kind. I can tell you in the, and this is dating me, I can tell you in the 45 plus years that I've collected, I have never come across or never seen a case of 7980 OPG wax before. So this really is a one of a kind that when you purchase an item like this, you buy it, you are buying it with the intent of never opening this case of cards. You leave it sealed because that's where the true value is in this product. Okay, so people are going to we're going to have to separate this conversation into two camps. There's like the enthusiast who would love to get their buddies together and they would love to crack into this thing and see the cards and share the memories and, and put the good ones into plastic. I can see you just wincing as I'm talking about this. <laughs> People are getting Dorito dust on the cards. And just You know, Johnny and I, this is what we would want to do, Wayne. But 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 then there's there's just the investor. Right. There's the investor that may still be a big hockey fan. They may still love Wayne Gretzky, but they're not buying this to see how many rookie cards they have. They're buying this because if they get it for two mil, they might sell it for 10 mil in 10 years. Is that right? That's correct. This is a true investment. And 
Yeah, if you've got nothing but money to spend and you want to buy this case for $2 million, $3 million, whatever this is going to close at, and it could be pretty crazy. My guess is with the media attention this is getting, there was a prediction that it could be a $2 million case. I'm anticipating more because of you know everything that's happening right now and how unique this item is. But this truly is an investment case for you. Buy this, you put it aside, you pretend you do not own it. You resist any urge to want to open this pack, these packs, these boxes or anything, because as I said, the true value behind this is the sealed products <laughs> but, and nothing else. But Wayner, you as a collectible guy, you're into this. This is your thing. Yeah. You wouldn't open one box, open a few packs and still make the money on the rest. You're saying save them all? Save them all. I, I, I got to say, this is one of those times, and I'm one of those guys, I, 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 every day in the store, and my customers know me, every day in the store, I stand there and I stare at packs of cards going, you know, just one more, just one more. So we all do that. That's what collecting is all about. And it's like a toy. Can you imagine telling a kid, and this is another collectible, can you imagine telling a kid, because we all know that, again, sealed is the way to go. So if you have a toy and you leave it mint in package, that's when it's worth more. Can you imagine telling an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old kid, don't open it, put it on the shelf and just stare at it? I, I, so, I, as we're speaking, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm searching the most expensive or the most valuable toy of all time because I'm curious to see what it would be. Uh, th this can't be, I'm looking at public.com. This can't be accurate uh, because this is in 2010. A Barbie by Stefano Canturi sold at Christie's uh, in 20 October of 2010 for 302 grand. There's no way. There's got to be more expensive or more valuable toys than that. I wonder what would be the ultimate all time. There was a GI Joe from 1963 that sold for 200 grand. So obviously cards. Like a, a Babe Ruth rookie card, if there's such a thing, there is, right? Uh, like a Ted Williams rookie card, Jackie Robinson, uh, like who else? Gretzky would be up there. Like who Who would be a, a, maybe a, a Michael Jordan rookie card, I'm guessing. Like what are the most valuable cards that you've ever seen or had in your store or have been tempted to even buy yourself? So there's lots. I mean, Mickey Mantle is one that comes to mind. There was just recently Mickey Mantle. I'm going to get the number wrong. I think it sold for something like $3 million for it. And it was graded nine. So, uh, you know, the dollar values thrown around in these collectibles is crazy. But I mean, you hit the, you, you hit it on the head, Ryan. Uh, any of those players, your Michael Jordans, your Wayne Gretzky, your Gordie Howe, your Mickey Mantles, your Babe Ruth, any of these type of guys, there's there's a lot of cards for some of them, like current year Gretzky. There actually is a lot of Gretzky rookies that are around. Now, not necessarily graded in high grades, the 10 that we saw that went for a couple million or whatever that card went for as well. Um, but there's a lot of cards out there of the current day, so the Jordans and the Gretzkys and that type of stuff. But the older you get, the less there are of these cards in good shape. So your Babe Ruth especially, your Mickey Mantles, all those cards. If you find a great shape card, you're in for a, a real treat in terms of financial uh, windfall. Look at this. Listen to this, both of you. We are in the, well, Wayne, you're in the right line of work. Johnny and I are in the wrong line of work. I'm looking at actionnetwork.com. This is citing Darren Ravel's reporting. Look at this. The, the most expensive or the most valuable sports trading card sales to date. Mickey Mandel, you nailed it. Number one, get this, his 1952 Tops card sold for $12.6 million. Hannes Wagner two and three at seven and a quarter and six point six million. Mickey Mantle at four at five point two million again. Uh, same set there a PSA nine. LeBron James mm -hmm. two thousand three oh four rookie patch auto at five point two million. That blows my mind. Uh, Gretzky barely cracks the top ten at three point seven five. Look at this Wayne. This is interesting. Luka Doncic is he's still playing. Patrick Mahomes he'll be playing in the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. Mike Trout is still playing. 
What's going on with that? These are some of those valuable cards of all time. They're not 60, 70 years old. No, and th- there's a rare cards. Uh, you know, again, there are current cards that are very rare. There's one-on-ones. There's cards at a five, cards at a 10. There's all kind of different numbering systems for these cards that can make them very rare cards. And then grade plays into factor. Uh, you know, we've talked about it, nines, tens. If you find tens, obviously you've got the cream of the crop and they're worth good money. Now, the reason you're seeing some of these guys like LeBron and Patrick Mahomes and guys like that, Mike Trout, is because of what they're doing right now. Gordie Howe isn't putting up any more numbers. Wayne Gretzky isn't putting up any more numbers. So you've hit the plateau of what they are going to be doing where it's what's possible for these current players. And that's why people are paying the money. Where is Mahomes going to go? Is he going to be better than Brady? Who knows? Yeah. Is the rookie card arguably or, or undoubtedly the most valuable collectible of the, like if you get uh Gretzky's stick that he used to score 894 uh or if or if you get like the the, the gloves he wore that he threw off when he host, hoisted his first Stanley Cup or like whatever you get what I'm saying um if you know the, the ball that Patrick Mahomes chucks to Kelsey to win the third Super Bowl that sort of a thing uh the the ball that I don't even know if Barry Bonds balls are worth as much anymore but you, boy that sounded strange didn't it uh you, you 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 get what I'm getting at here Wayne is it always the card or is there other memorabilia that could be as or even more valuable anything and everything so in the investment world in the collecting world that you know in the sports world Anything that you can get your hands on, game-worn jerseys, game-used bats, game-used hockey sticks, game-used sticks, any of that stuff from what we do, it's definitely cards. People look for the rookie card. Is it necessarily the most valuable of that player? Not always, because there are, as I mentioned, one-on-one cards uh, in some of these sets. So these one-on-ones can go for ridiculous numbers. But the rookie cards are what everybody goes after. Um, you know, everybody looks for, they want to own the rookie card or the first card of that player. So it is what is most sought after for sure. I guess I just don't understand it. And Johnny and I were talking about this before the show. And I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I can wrap my mind around the fact that you're saying uh, that you don't open it because that's the whole point. And, 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 and you kind of bastardize it when you open it. Even if you open it just a tiny little bit, then it's open. And then it's kind of lost its magic. But if you see that the, the, the highest selling Gretzky rookie card of this series, 79 Opeachy, has sold for three and three quarter million dollars, and you could have 25 of them. In other words, in theory, in theory, though you've explained to us it's very unlikely, but in theory, there could be $75 million worth of Gretzky rookie cards in there. And you pay like, I mean, I don't know, the bidding right now, last I checked, is at about one and a quarter million with, you know, days to go, weeks to go. Uh, in the auction and obviously interviews like this one and the national attention, the international attention will pump that up. And I, I would imagine the most serious bidders are going to wait till the last day. Nobody's getting in right now and driving up the price. But what do you think this thing goes for? As I mentioned earlier, I, I think the number right now is limitless with the amount of media attention we're seeing. Uh, you know, the hype around this case, as I said, this could be a one one I've never seen a case like this before. Odds are we may never. Now, this will be the test now that this has surfaced. And let's just say for argument's sake, this case goes for $3 million or $4 million, which is a, definitely a possibility. If there is somebody else who owns one of these cases, you can be rest assured that they will be digging this out, taking it to an auction house and looking for the same type of reward as the, this family in Regina has seen. Um, you know, this would be the test if there is if if there, in fact, is another case out there. I don't know if there is. But going back to your comment, Ryan, 
where you said about opening and getting, as I mentioned, the, the Gretzky that you saw that sold for the amount of money, the reason it sold for that is because there's been so many cards graded and these are very, very rare. And, and I forget the number. It might only be one, two or three that exist at a 10 out of all of the Gretzky rookies that have been graded. So the odds of opening these cases or these cases, these boxes and getting all 10s would be astronomical. Hey, really? So again, the value is on this case of cards. As much as I would say that there's going to be somebody out there that wants to buy this and bust it and have a good time and do what you got to do. Hey, if you've got three or four million bucks to spend and it means nothing to you, do it. Open it up and have a good time. Yeah. But you've just removed a true <laughs> possible 101. In terms of grade, like these have bubble gum in them, right, Wayne? Does that degrade the quality over time if there's a piece of gum sitting in there for That's years and years question. and years? question. Absolutely, it does. So that card that is now touching that piece of gum, if it is a Gretzky rookie, is definitely no longer a 10. I can tell you that. Wow. Wow. Look at that, hey? How good would that gum be? Just a mouthful of 1979 <laughs> Mold. moldy <laughs> rock hard gum. Hey, Wade, before we let you go, the, obviously, who was expected to be uh, the, well, I shouldn't, I don't know if I should say that with respect to the other rookies in the NHL this year, but Connor Bedard, who's, you know, being mentioned already in the same sentence as Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and all these guys. Um, obviously, a, you know, jaw injury, you know, knocks him out for, you know, probably about six weeks. Connor McDavid had a similar, I think it was his shoulder in his rookie season. It cut short his rookie season he didn't win the Calder Trophy as rookie of the year obviously hasn't impacted his career writ large but I'm sure McDavid would have loved to have that Calder Trophy Bedard may not win it either uh, considering some of the, the great seasons other rookies are having does stuff like that translate into whether or not his rookie card has as much value or is that totally irrelevant it's it really is irrelevant uh, you know again people look at the longevity of a career uh you know as you mentioned Connor mcdavid was hurt in his rookie season and i can tell you that from day one when his rookie came out through that injury and through the remaining rest of the season there was no downplay in what was happening with his cards they were all selling people all over them uh and look where we're at right now um you know that rookie card when it first came out was selling for 150 and 200 dollars Raw copies of that now sell for twelve hundred. Graded nine sell for two. Uh, nine five sell for two thousand. Uh, so you can see the potential, and everybody's looking at Bedard the same way. Much like I mentioned earlier with Patrick Mahomes and Trout and all these current guys, it's the potential of what can happen. So mm -hmm. Bedard is getting the same type of attention. Uh, his rookie card, his young gun, uh, will be out in March. And, uh, you know, that card is going to be very highly sought after. And my guess, is, if I was to put a number, my guess is right off the hop because of where we're at with, uh, you know, people looking at investment opportunities. Uh, my guess is that card is going to be somewhere between three and five hundred dollars right off the get go. Well, and you can't you can't like guarantee it. I know that. But I will say this to people, um, you and I and, and people can come in your store and they see what the price is and they can pay the price. So that's what I did. But I'm just saying everybody can do the same thing. But our son, Wyatt was born in 2015. You'll probably remember the story, Wayne. Uh, and, I, and I came in there. I wanted to get something cool for his first birthday, not to give to him. He still doesn't have it. Uh, but he knows that it is in the house, just not where. Uh, I picked up a Connor McDavid rookie card. I'm going to give it to him on his 18th birthday for his first birthday present. You know what I mean? Uh, because McDavid was drafted the year that Wyatt was born. I thought that was kind of cool. So anyway, I've not yet had the McDavid card graded. Uh, so I don't know what it is. And obviously, I'll have to get it graded at some point. But... Uh, for what I paid for that card, I think that I think you were selling them in your shop for two fifty at the time. Um, that card, I'm seeing McDavid cards now. Some of them are selling like you've seen it. Like some of them are selling already for like thirty, forty, fifty grand, right? 
Yeah, the higher the grade, the better. As I mentioned, a 9.5 goes for about $2,000. I think if you can find a 10, they go for around $4,000. Four? Uh, so the numbers are already up there. Oh, I thought it was way higher than that. I was going to... No, well, there there are other cards, Ryan. So there are other cards out there, like the Cup Rookie. I think we've talked about that in the past, where a Cup Rookie card got graded at a 10, and that one goes for stupid money. Um, so there are different rookie cards, and that's important to know, that there are different sets out there that have Connor McDavid rookies. It's not just one rookie card. Uh, and I think that year I'm going to get, I might get the number wrong here, but I think Connor McDavid has something like 15 or 18 rookie cards. Well, look at this. Uh, what's this 20 right now, live on eBay, uh, real talkers. If you want to get it on the bid, um, <laughs> the 2015 Connor McDavid, you what's you upper deck black diamond rookie gem. Uh, it's, it's right now priced at 425 K. I mean, there's one. This is this this is only from 2015. Correct. I mean, unbelievable. Wayne, you talked about what can happen, um, and God forbid this does happen. But let's say this family keeps these boxes of cards for a while, or sits on them, or they sell them to someone else. If Wayne Gretzky passes away, how much does the value of these cards John that are? John Hicks. I know. I don't want to say it, but I just, I just, Johnny. I just need to know: Does it get exponentially higher the value of the cards? No. No, okay. that is one thing that uh, it doesn't affect it immensely. Down the road, it does. And I often tell the story about Maurice Richard, and, and it's just a quick story here. I remember we had Maurice Richard autographed jerseys. We're selling for, I think it was $5.99 or $6.99 in the shop. And he passed away. And there's a lot of people thinking, oh, these are going to fly off the shelf. You know, people are going to buy them. They're going to go up immediately. And it doesn't happen. It took about a year and a half or two years before the jerseys started to climb. So there's just so much in the marketplace where people may go out there and, and you know, I'm not going to say, you know, Gretzky passes away and everybody goes out there and buys all these cards. There is a little bit more, you know, attraction to it. People are going, oh, I better buy it before it goes up. And that definitely can happen, but it's not immediately. It's not like as soon as this happens, it's like, wow, the card doubled in value. So no, that's not what happens. All right. I'm, I'm scanning all the this at Beckett.com, which obviously Beckett does a lot. That's been a huge name in collectibles for years and years and years, right? They've got their their Connor McDavid rookie card countdown. And I'm, and I'm looking at, they, they say, here's the, the most valuable, the top 20 most valuable Connor McDavid rookie cards. Wayne, can we all agree that, that McDavid's got a like, you know, retire top five in points or win a couple of cups if his cards and collectibles are ultimately going to start hitting those really top values? Like, it, it does matter whether or not a player is a champion, right? Absolutely. That's the big thing, and it's the championships. The points are one thing, uh, you know, that'll elevate a guy to a certain level in his career and certain level in value, but winning the Stanley Cup is the big thing. Ovechkin was a great example for years, uh, Sidney Crosby outsold and outvalued any Ovechkin card. So if you had a young gun of Sidney Crosby, I'm going to use approximate values here, a young gun for Crosby might sell for between six and 800, while Alexander Ovechkin was 300. As soon as Ovechkin won that Stanley Cup, his cards today, and also that he's chasing the, the goal record with Wayne Gretzky, yeah. um, his cards today are actually higher valued than Sidney Crosby. Wow. Okay. Um, it, the chat is coming alive with two things. People want to know uh, what their own value is on their own collectibles, and then people are appalled at John's question of what happens when Wayne Gretzky passes away. I knew it was going to rustle. Those, are the, those are the two things. I just needed to know. He doesn't. He doesn't. He just <laughs> when it when it's his time, he just rises into heaven. John, that's just how it goes. There's no. Uh, but Wayne, people are asking about things like Pokemon cards. Are you you're into like you you deal with all kinds of stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and yep. so. so 
Are Pokemon cards a good? I mean, I guess I'm asking a real general question here on, on behalf of an audience member. But but like, is there value? Like, are, are people, you know, people who see their kids spending their allowance or their hard-earned $7 a pack, $7 a pack on Pokemon cards, should they be like protecting the cards? Is this like a long-term investment or can you see it being a fad like Pogs? Uh, well, if Pokemon was a fog, uh, a fa- uh, sorry, if Pokemon was a fad, it would have been done in 1997 because that's when it first came out. And everybody assumed that back in 1997 that it was over and done. One year over done. Here we are today in 2024 and Pokemon is huge. So I always say to people, it's anything and everything for collectibles. It doesn't matter what it is. And another quick story about Pokemon to give you an idea on values. There was a story that surfaced where a lady had set a couple of boxes aside of the original Pokemon in 97 for her son for his birthday. She had given one to him for a birthday present and kept one aside and put it in a linen closet and just forgot about it. This was, I think, about six or seven years ago. They were moving. So she digs out this linen closet, finds this box of Pokemon sitting in the back, knew she had something good, put it up in an auction house, and it sold for $250,000 U.S. Jeez. Okay. So there's value in all this stuff. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And she probably paid my guess back in the day when she bought that in 97, probably paid about 75 bucks. Jeez. You know, there's going to be people that are buying like full cases off you now, hoping that their family in 50 or 60 years can discover it, right? Like, is, is that, is, it's kind of a, like, I'm thinking time capsule. Like, what a time capsule to leave your grandkids. That's what collecting is all about. I mean, Ryan, you just mentioned your your experience. You yeah. bought a card for $200, $250, and you've got a card now worth raw raw value. The card in your hand is $1,200. Yeah. I'm going to sell it and go for a steak dinner. Nah, I better not. I better not. <laughs> That's bad karma. Uh, hey, I noticed you, you've got even Star Trek collectibles on your website. People can check out waynesportscards.com. I saw an audience member. Our chat's just humming today, so I lost uh, the name. But someone said, man, people will even pay for William Shatner's toupee. Uh, and so I checked this out uh, online, and, and, and sure enough, you know, the, William Shatner's toupee uh, sold uh, from Star Trek, uh, sold on October 14th. So I guess anything has value to the... You know, beauty or value in the eye of the beholder, right? Chewed gum. I don't know if you remember the story about Derek Jeter and the chewed gum. No. It was Alex, Alex Rodriguez. It was either Alex Rodriguez or Derek Jeter. I'm forgetting now. But one of the guys spit out a piece of gum. A fan picked it up, put it up on eBay, and sold it. And I and again, Jeez. look it up. I can't remember what it went for, but anything and everything wrong. Wow. <laughs> I think of the Kurt Schilling's bloody sock. I remember, yeah, yeah, all kinds of wild yeah. stuff. Um, Wayne, every single time I talk to you, uh, and Johnny and I were really looking forward to this. We have so much fun and learn something along the way. If people want to find you, it's waynesportscards.com, and they can also find you uh, out in Edmonton's West End. You're easy to track down. The store is so much fun, Wyatt, and I love coming in and taking a walk around i can't seem to walk out of that shop without buying something though so you've you've done a good job with it i appreciate it ryan thanks for having me on the show it was a blast you got it that's wayne wagner he's the founder the owner operator of wayne's sports cards and collectibles what a great what a great chat today i can already tell (laughs) wayne wayne has not changed either of our minds if we had the money to buy that we would be opening it i'd be there i couldn't help myself you gotta open it yeah but i get it i'd open at least a few i mean maybe like a pension fund will buy it and just hold it as an investment if it was one box no but many boxes come on okay so you said you had a collecting story what's your collecting oh yeah i had i was gifted a bobby Orr all-star card it's on the top 10 most uh, expensive cards that that bobby Orr. uh that the Bobby Orr cards have. Uh, it's a 1967 Tops uh, number 128 Bobby Orr All-Star card. At the time, when the family member gave it to me, they said it was like worth a couple thousand dollars. I said, oh, great. 
pretty close to mint condition, not totally. So I thought, you know, it's worth a thousand bucks or whatever. Yeah. I put it in a case and I was an avid collector back then. I had full sets of hockey cards, full set, you know, back when the Blue Jays heyday in the nineties, I had the full yep. sets of the, of the Blue Jays sure. in, in, in books, you know, under plastic. And I put a lot of these into a single box and just put it in uh, the basement. And then, uh, you know, I was dating a girl and we eventually moved to, to BC together uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, I left this box in her parents' home out in the country in Ontario. And I thought, you know, one day I'll come back, I'll get the box, I'll open it up and then I'll see what everything is worth again. These are in the days when, you know, the internet wasn't as huge as it is. So you had to go into stores and get things graded and ask what things are worth. Sure. So at the time I was like, oh, it's worth a thousand bucks. I'll put it away. In 20 years, I'll come back and get this box and whatever. Right? Yeah. I end up breaking up with the girl Uh-oh. in BC. Uh-oh. And years later, I'm like, I'm thinking about, you know, collectibles. I'm watching a hockey game one day. I'm like, oh my gosh, Bob, your all-star card, you know, number seven on the top 10 most you know, expensive Bobby Orr cards that are out there. And now the internet's around. So now I th- see that it's up to six, six and a half thousand dollars. Oh, so I call her, you know, I am like, Hey, you know, you know, how you doing? And we're still on relatively good terms. And I say, you know, you know, I don't mean to bring this up, but I left that box of, of cards, you know, in, in your parents' house back in the day. And she's like, what Oh yeah, I'll cards? get to them. Right. You know, you know, so she contacts her, her parents and, and mysteriously, the box disappears. Oh, that's so weird! How I'm that looking happens. at it today, and it's worth about you know eight grand right there. Oh, so not man. not a fortune, but still something important. It had a bit of sentimental value. I'm sure she she's a pretty honest person, so I'm sure it was misplaced. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder if her stepdad. You know what who, I always who, think about? You know, got into the box one day and, and was realized like, what it was. Not just that, there were lots of other whole sets of cards. There was lots of things. I don't know exact. I can't remember exactly what was in there, but maybe, maybe he's got a little treasure. This trope, is you know? an interesting. Um, I feel your pain, man. Um, well, I don't feel your pain. I've never felt pain like that, but I can understand why that would suck. Well, it's not a um, million dollars, but you know, it's not a bit. Hey, man, like eight grand. That'd be nice. Five yeah, grand would be nice. The conditions from, it's in, maybe five. You know? Yeah, Alberta girl here with an interesting comment says there's a fine line between collecting and hoarding. Uh, you might have a diamond <laughs> in a pile of garbage, uh, which is true. Yeah. I mean, I think of like one of the things I used to, and I've noticed a lot of people in our live chat today, everyone's coming alive with, with what you collect. And I love that. I saw some of you talking about the, is it called magic, the gathering? Some of your big collectors oh, on gosh. that. I have some a of friend you who's signed guitars, baseball. Some of you talking about Getty Lee, uh, his collection of baseballs. I don't know if you saw the feature, uh, Getty Lee is starting to liquidate his collection. He's starting to sell a lot of those, which is amazing. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, I've always wondered like, you know, for me, when I was like maybe starting at 15, 16 and started going to concert concerts um i would always stick around and, and lurk and do what i could and fandangle and and, and sweet talk and try get to get the, the set list oh okay and so i have set lists i have a tragically hip set list oh. i have all kinds like from the watchmen a bunch of bands that like never really kind of mm-hmm. became anything but bands that i love i have a corb lund one from back in the day with the smalls um when feist was the placebo sure um, like all kinds of cool set lists um and i was like this is gonna just be unbelievable and then you realize like Nobody cares. Everybody's got set lists. 
it's the if I tried to sell my entire collection of set lists, I probably wouldn't get much more value than the recycling value of the paper they're on. Sure. But for me, when I hold them in my hands, sentimental, they, they still have like the, the the gaffer tape on them, or what do you call it, gaff tape? That gaff, is it. Gaff, yeah, gaff, gaff tape. tape. Yeah. So you know, they still have like the you know tape from when the and and so for me, it's just like the memories. It's so very special. Of course. Uh, but then there are for other ones where you find that you're and I, Getty Lee was talking about this with some of the baseballs that he's collected. You're you're you are the steward of that collectible mm-hmm. at the time you own it. Yeah. Like he almost talks about it in this kind of esoteric way where he's like, he's like, it's not ever really mine. It's, he's like, I've been yeah. the keeper of this memorabilia, you know? I, I love the comments coming in. Garth says, I'm thinking about a set of cards that are around 25 years old. I left in my mom's house in Jamaica. Tracy D says, they probably sold your box that I left at their parents' house at a garage sale for 25 cents. That is probably what happened. They Can opened you- this up. They put it somewhere at a garage sale, and somebody paid five bucks, and now they got... You, you know, imagine grand. You're, you're watching or listening to real talk uh, from uh, you know somewhere in Canada, uh, but you have roots in Saskatchewan and you're mm-hmm. putting two and two together and realizing that it's your family that has just found your unopened case of 1979 Opeachy cards that's up for auction right now. <laughs> hey, uh, mom, uh, <laughs> can we talk about what you found in the attic? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, hey, well, we're going to keep an eye on this story just because it's obviously so fun. Uh, we wanted to put this on the back half of a show and have some fun with it. We appreciate it. We knew that it would probably interest a lot of you. We'll, we'll update you when that uh, case sells, and we'll see what it sells for. I'd be very curious. Um, you know, we talk a lot of politics on the show. We talk uh, news and current events as well, and that included uh, about a week ago on uh, January 24th. This was the day after an armed gunman walked into Edmonton City Hall, and there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, number one, uh, I had a conversation that day with Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, and Edmonton City Councilor Tim Cartmel. Uh, you can find those interviews, get their firsthand report of, of what that experience was like. Obviously, a wild one, and uh, I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that nobody was hurt. Uh, on uh, our episode of Real Talk coming up tomorrow, this is going to be January 31st, uh, we're going to be talking to Edmonton City Manager Andre Corbold, who's going to join me in studio. He's a, he's a former high-ranking military military uh, commander. This guy has been like in combat. The guy understands uh, military. I mean, just all, all things military. Well, he's now serving as Edmonton's city manager. Imagine uh, what his response to this has been over the last week or so. I, I talked to him on the phone briefly yesterday in preparation for our conversation on the 31st. I don't think you'll want to miss it. He's talking to me about the measures they've taken, uh, what this has been like for city staff, even the the infrastructure that was damaged, the bullet holes at City Hall, the fire damage uh, from that Molotov cocktail. I mean, he says we are not opening. We're not reopening City Hall uh, until it looks like it needs to look like, like a public space needs to look. You can't have shattered glass and bullet holes everywhere. I mean, just the the, the, the fascinating inside look at this. We'll get another angle on it. It's not a story we want to just simply move on from. We know that there are many, many city employees, not just the politicians. Uh, We're not overlooking them either, but there's staffers, there's administrators, there's all kinds of people that were impacted and are impacted uh, by that uh, horrific incident. So that's going to be coming up. But if you missed our interviews with the mayor and, and Councillor Cartmel, I encourage you to check it out. The other conversation, one of them that I had that day, was with Dr. Jared Wesley about his Alberta Views piece, uh, Democracy Under Threat. And Dr. Wesley talks to us about the importance of an independent judiciary and an independent, or not, he gets into the argument around it, chief medical officer of health. 
Really, really interesting conversation. If you missed that, I know in the news of the day, everybody was talking about that shooting, but that interview with Dr. Wesley was very enlightening. I encourage you to check it out. That's our January 24th episode. It's titled Gunman Taken Down at Edmonton City Hall. And while we're at it, I wanted to remind you that if you want to check out Dr. Wesley's piece in its entirety, you'll find it at albertaviews.ca. And if you use that promo code AVRJ when you subscribe, you're going to knock 50% off an annual subscription. That's 10 issues of Alberta Views for just $20, if you can believe it, delivered right to your door. That's the promo code AVRJ when you subscribe at albertaviews.ca. Hey, this episode of Real Talk doesn't happen without the support of Eden Landscaping, and we wanted to remind you uh, that this is a team that has been leveling up its understanding around trends and the science of landscaping ever since inception, more than 20 years ago. I was checking in with Mike, their owner. Mike, this is a family-owned business. Still is, and I said, "Hey, you know, what do you want real talkers to be thinking about or focusing on through these winter months when not everybody's thinking about their landscaping project?" He says, "Just remind them about last summer. Remind them about the wildfires, the floods, the drought, and what the implications are on landscape design." I'll be honest, that hadn't even crossed my mind. Mike says, "We got to change the way that we design yards. We got to change the way we design outdoor spaces. That could be the vegetation. It could be the way that the irrigation is working or the drainage." You get the idea? This guy knows what he's talking about, and his team of designers, absolutely brilliant. You'll find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And before we sign off, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want to remind you that they are hiring right now. They're hiring salespeople, office administrators, managers, installers, which could be apprentices or those with their ticket. And if you're looking to work in BC or Alberta, they've got offices in Kamloops and Lethbridge. They've got offices in Calgary. And we're showing you right now some video of their stunning headquarters in Edmonton. Johnny, how many businesses do you know that have a bonsai tree like actually rooted into their boardroom table? Not many. That's only Kubi Energy. Ping pong tables, cold beer taps, and even a original first-gen Tesla parked inside with their Tesla charging wall. Kubi is driving Canada's green revolution forward, and you can be part of it on the career side of things by getting your application in. Check out kubienergy.ca. As mentioned, tomorrow's Real Talk, that'll be January 31st, we'll be sitting down in studio with Edmonton's city manager, Andre Korbold. He's going to take us behind the scenes of what it's been like in first response to that shooting incident at City Hall, and then the aftermath of it, the counseling that goes with it, the repairs that go with it, and of course, the security review. You know, it was way too easy for that guy to get way too close to council chambers. So what's going to change? We'll find out. And we hope you'll join us. In the meantime, thanks for supporting this episode of Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, 
Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.